This is Ian Perry. Welcome to Keeping Green, broadcasting at the University of Calgary from CJSW 90.9 FM. The University of Calgary is located on the traditional lands of the Treaty 7 and in Métis Region 3. On this episode of Keeping Green, we speak with Catherine Tenise, director of the Tunaka Nation Council, and we speak with her after the decision to turn the proposed jumbo ski resorts into a protected area instead. It's not going to be easy, but I think that uh, you know we we're definitely up to the challenge. Stick around. I've decided to narrate today's episode from the banks of the Bow River as I enjoy this winter afternoon in Calgary. Early 2020 marks a victorious period for conservation in Canada as the upper Jumbo Valley has been saved from a proposed mega ski resort after 30 years of debate. Perhaps you've heard about this controversial plan. You might have seen opposition to the resort slapped on bumpers across Western Canada. Perhaps you saw the stunning documentary film by Patagonia, Jumbo Wild, released in 2015. If you're not familiar with the proposed resort or know little about it, the Jumbo Valley is an alpine area in the Purcell Mountains, lying about 55 kilometers west of the town of Invermere. The upper valley, along with a handful of glaciers, was proposed for the site of a year-round ski resort in 1990. The initial environmental assessment began in 1995, and it was approved formally by the province of British Columbia in 2007. According to the website keepitwild.ca, the plan included a footprint of 6,000 hectares with over 20 lifts and a 5,500-bed village. Before any footings were laid down for the village, it became incorporated as the Jumbo Glacier Mountain Resort Municipality in 2013. A mayor and two councillors appointed by the BC government were put in place. The resort felt like a violation on a number of fronts. First, the resort would rest in what is a core area for grizzly bear habitat. The heavy human presence in the valley would have disrupted the migration corridor for grizzlies. Next was Bill 41, which amended the Local Government Act of British Columbia so that a mayor and councillors could be appointed to the Jumbo municipality without any democratic process. But perhaps the most disheartening aspect of the Jumbo approval was a lack of consideration for the local Tunaka Indigenous people. The Tunaka people have been at the forefront of this fight from the beginning. In 2010, they declared Jumbo's spiritual significance to their people at the BC Legislature, but they were defeated when the Master Development Plan was signed by the province in 2012. In 2014, the Tunaka people sued the BC government on the grounds that the Master Development Plan violated two of their constitutionally protected rights. One, their right to be consulted as Aboriginal people under Section 35 of the Constitution Act, and two, their right to freedom of religion under Section 2 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. In 2015, the BC Supreme Court ruled to dismiss the Tunaka people, and so too did the Supreme Court of Canada in 2017. But now in 2020, 
the negotiation of local conservation organizations, including the Nature Conservancy of Canada, has resulted in the relinquishment of the development rights by the proponent of the resort, thus allowing the Tunaka to establish a protected area instead. The area boundaries have yet to be determined, but it will cover roughly 700 square kilometers, tying into the Purcell Wilderness Conservancy immediately to the south. Still, Catherine Tenise of the Tunaka Nation Council finds the court's inability to observe her people's spiritual beliefs throughout the proceedings a major disappointment. She joins me via telephone from Cranbrook, British Columbia, to discuss that and more. I know this has been a long journey. I mean, this this process or this, I guess, this debate has gone on for 30 years. What has been your role throughout this process? Have you always been um, a spokesperson for your people? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I've been involved um, over over the years. Firstly, just as a as a, a citizen um, who you know was supporting the um, the decisions made by our our leadership to to express opposition when we first heard about the proposed development. Um, and then more recently, I've obviously I've been involved as um, the the uh, Danaha spokesperson expressing our opposition to the development. So it's, you know, we've been, um, we've been stating our opposition and I personally have been, um, have been involved, uh, you know, both at a formal and informal level um, since almost since the very beginning of our of of this part of the the history of that place. I just want to know a little bit about your your declaration. It seems to me that was quite a defining moment. Is going to the legislature in Victoria with your declaration and then with sixty one thousand signatures in your in your favor. Uh, can you describe that? Yeah, the um, the trip to Victoria was to deliver the Gutmuk Declaration, and it was uh, it was exciting as well as uh, quite intimidating. But the feeling of intimidation was balanced by the fact that there were a busload of supportive Danaha citizens who were standing in solidarity with the delivery of the of the declaration. We delivered the declaration basically to say that you know to to try to emphasize to whomever that uh, you know our our connection to the place and uh, included in the declaration we had um, a, a, a set of stewardship principles that we felt could provide the high level guidance to what uh, what we saw taking place in the area that would be you know that would satisfy the concerns that we'd expressed um, so so it was it was more or less a you know just a way to say to to British Columbians by um, by way of, of utilizing the the government of the day as the receiver of our message to say you know there's some things that need to be uh, addressed and uh, we have we continue to have great concerns 
And in terms of the 61,000 signatures, that wasn't um, specifically an initiative that we led. It was um, mainly led by um, um, the environmental community, uh, including Wildsite, the Jumbo Wild Society, and the West Kootenai Eco Society. I, I'm I'm not sure of their their official names, but um, it was those folks that uh, that uh, had taken undertaken that uh, that initiative to to get the the signatures from uh, citizens and uh, others, you know, who were um, expressing support of the uh, of the work that we were attempting to achieve as well as expressing opposition to the development the proposed development in the area I was just reading this morning that the Supreme Court ruling in 2015 was so disappointing can you describe that a little bit yeah well the court the court proceeding I think um, uh, what it demonstrated was the fact that um, that society as a whole, and as you know, as represented by the the judges who sat on the Supreme Court bench, have a great deal of difficulty in being able to wrap their minds around the fact that uh, um, the spiritual spiritual beliefs of Indigenous people does uh, have the right to be expressed, and, and that. You know that's mainly what we were arguing. We were saying we have a sp- we have spiritual beliefs, and in this case, it's connected to a place, and we want recognition that you know our our beliefs uh, and our expression of spirituality means something that it should be able to exist alongside of any other set of spiritual beliefs that exist in this country. You know, I, I still feel that they were. You know that they didn't really address what what it was that we were that we were trying to bring their attention to when we went to went to the courts as um, a group of of people as a nation we we've been um, noted to be very private and you know and continue to be very private about our spiritual beliefs we're not you know it's not something that anyone needs to know all they need to know that it, that they're there and that we you know that that we have some connection to a place as an you know as part of the expression of our beliefs so we don't feel that the issue was really addressed satisfactorily um, throughout the uh, throughout all of the court proceedings yeah. but uh, but the, the fact is I think that we've certainly raised the issue and the door's been opened. You know, we expect that the way that court decisions are built over time, you know, that someone is going to bring forward, you know, another situation that will build on um, build on arguments that we made and uh, that will eventually get there. But unfortunately, in our case, we just weren't able to get there. Right. You know, I, I'm, I'm sort of reminded of, I believe, uh, a Tunaka colleague of yours in the film that Patagonia produced. He said if somebody walked up to the gates of the Vatican with some plans to develop a resort, you know, they wouldn't even get through the gate. 
and yeah. this shouldn't be any different. And I mean, putting it in, the, in that term, it's unfortunate. It needs to be brought down to that kind yeah, of terminology. And, I mean, yeah, and that's exactly what we were arguing. We were saying that our spiritual beliefs, just because they're not the same as anybody else, they deserve. You know, they they do exist, and they they deserve acknowledgement by others that they do exist and and they should be taken into account as decisions are made. So as I understand it, um, concrete was actually poured for the first structures at the resort base area. So things were underway for a time. So how was this turned around? You know, really what it was was, uh, you know, a, a superficial demonstration by the proponent that they were um, you know they were substantially started um, in their project because that is something that um, the approving minister has the ability to examine you know after a period of time and in this case the environmental assessment certificate was issued in 2009 and they had five years in which to get get the project going. And so it was getting to very much toward the end of that five-year window, you yeah. know, that they there was a flurry of activity and they poured the concrete, et cetera. And then the minister of the day, um, Mary Polak, visited the site and was provided with a comprehensive report by her staff. And, and, and subsequently, she deemed that the project was not substantially started. And so, uh-huh. which, which meant then that um, this decision, a consequence of her decision was that there was no longer a valid environmental assessment certificate, So, which meant that no activity could take place at that point. Uh, initially, the, the proponent had uh, appealed that decision. Um, however, they withdrew their appeal as part of the all of the settlement around the mm establishment of the IPCA. So what had stopped them from starting those concrete footings and so forth five years earlier? Nothing. <laughs> but they just hadn't been organized enough to yeah, start construction? Well, they, their first environmental assessment certificate they received in 2004, and then in 2009 they, uh, they applied and received an uh, a five-year extension and according to um, the regulations around that 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 any project is only allowed um, sort of two two kicks at the can with respect to environmental assessment certificates yeah so if they had been substantially started their certificate would have lived on but when they when nothing occurred you know and their futile efforts of, you know, that flurry of activity of putting down those concrete pads and doing a couple, you know, some other things that um, really, you know, when you're talking about the the size of the proposed project that, uh, you know, the... um, you know, their efforts were really minuscule, inter, you know, and really could not be, I, I think anybody would have had a great deal of difficulty to say, oh yeah, you're, you're substantially started, yeah, this mm-hmm. is good. <laughs>
Was there ever a sense among your group that you could possibly make some kind of compromise with the proponent group? Yeah, well, I mean, we um, we had indicated to the proponent, you know, a couple you know, a number of times uh, where we had said, if you um, sort of um, revisit your proposal and, and uh, bring something back that has less of a footprint in the area and, you know, addresses some of our concerns, we'd be willing to consider it. But we never really got that. We never received that back. I mean, yeah. we received, um, you know, a, a a reduction of something like 500 beds and that's not that's not you know that's yeah. not not what we were looking for for those of you just tuning in this is keeping green i'm speaking with Catherine tanise from the tunaka nation in the columbia valley where the proposed jumbo ski resort has recently been cancelled after 30 years of debate among locals government and resort developers the site of the proposed resort is a sacred area to the Tanaka people, whom refer to it as Katmuk. The site will now be managed as a conservation area. But despite the recent victory, Catherine describes the disappointment of not having her people's spiritual beliefs taken into full consideration by the courts. Now, Catherine and I discuss some of the arguments which were made in favor of the resort over the years, and we discuss the vision of Katmuk as a conserved area, which for now is referred to as Indigenous Protected and Conserved Area. And another thing I always get so blown out by is the argument that people made over the years, which was, well, the area is already sort of highly disturbed anyway, so this makes a lot of sense because there's already roads and other you know, structures from, you know, past uh, resource development. And it's like people don't understand the concept of conservation and how little it would take to bring things back to a, a highly sort of pre-European state in this area because it is really, it's, it's probably very mildly used if you think about yeah. compared to the infrastructure of like Banff National Park. It's very lightly used. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that's that's the point is is that um, you know we're here for the long haul. We know that uh, you know, okay, maybe they cut some trees down, but guess what? Those trees are going to go back. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and you know, there was mining activity, but that you know that can be reclaimed. All of that, yeah. you know, there's there's all kinds of things that can happen uh, in in the area that. Um, you know that require the investment of time <laughs> and i i want to say that um one of the arguments that was brought forward by the opposing parties who were opposing us were you know uh, talked about development and you know that we were you know we were just just opposing for the sake of opposing and I think that that's one of the things that um, that's a, a, a fallacy that exists in terms of, of Indigenous people and, the, and their connection to their, you know, to their homelands. That mm. obviously we do have concerns about, you know, about certain kinds of development and, and places where those developments occur. However, we're very cognizant of the fact that 
that we do need um, an economic base in order to ensure that you know we can move forward and deal with many of the um, social ills that have befallen us over time and and just generally to be able to to uh, create wealth because um, that's you know that's what makes sense to the survival of, of any people of making sure that they have the opportunity to 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 move forward in a way that they have determined I mean that's what self self-determination is all about and I think there are tools now that and particularly here in British Columbia where we had the provincial government recently recently passing um, the legislation you know that is going to work towards the development of uh, an action plan and um, and just overall direction about how the implementation of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People is going to unfold. Mm. You know, so that's you know that's that's extremely helpful, and um, you know, hopefully that uh, Canada as a whole will look at some some way forward towards uh, towards the the actual implementation i mean it's one thing to say you're supportive you're supportive of um, a un declaration but if you don't do anything about it your your support is pretty hollow mm-hmm. one of the other things is that we pointed out and um, we had done some uh, economic study work that showed the the viability uh, from an economic perspective was very small even though we were being told oh there's going to be jobs and there's going to be this and that we expect that probably during the construction phase there would have been you know there would have been some some reasonably paying jobs but when it was in operation you know what kind of jobs would be available they would be very you know very um sort of low-end kind of, of positions and we're aware that uh, the challenge of filling some of those you know some of those positions in other areas is ex- you know is extremely challenging and so yeah. we you know we weren't sure that you know that that argument really made sense and the fact that uh, you know the the place that we're talking about is is not that far down the road from an existing development panorama there's a lot to worry about that you know in terms of tourist infrastructure as it is in that valley that needs probably attention and uh we should work to improve what we have developed rather than scrambling to just carve out more and more and more from our perspective we want to ensure that we're we're successful with this initiative and we want to make you know hopefully be able to provide a model you know that others may may look to you know to do similar activities in other parts of the country i mean uh, that's one of the you know sort of one of the beauties of the of uh, the IPCA uh, is the fact that that um, you know it's not a one size fits all it's not a you know it's not a cookie cutter and it, you know that each of the how the the conserved areas unfold is you know is going to be unique to the areas in which they're located so yeah. that makes a that really gives us hope 
you know, in terms of making sure that we do something in this area that makes sense, not only to the Donato people, but to our, you know, to our neighbors, because uh, we know that we're we're all going to, uh, we're all here to stay, you know, it's not like uh, we're, we're looking to create something um, that excludes anyone, rather we want to be inclusive and we want to ensure that we're bringing forward some of the principles of, of uh, protection, etc. that um, you, you mentioned earlier in the conversation. It's not going to be easy, but I think that, uh, you know, we, we're definitely up to the challenge. And now we, you know, as we're going to lay out our approach, that we will, we have to talk to a lot of people. We know that. And, you know, and we will also be looking to others, you know, for um, advice and input as to, you know, what we ultimately, where we ultimately land. So if you could give other groups um, a message or some advice uh, because there's so many uh, of these kinds of projects unfolding around the province and in other parts of Canada with respect to you know energy development and other um, tourism developments what what are some of the the messages to make clear or to give to the general public for that matter on this I guess what I would say, it's all about perseverance and, and staying true to your values, you know, and making sure that you're, you know, that you're, you're making, you know, the best case and, and, and to think, to think things through for uh, the longer term, I mean, recognizing that, uh, you know, some of the things may not be addressed immediately, but acknowledging and recognizing our our connection to places and and um, you know finding ways to move forward in a in a way that makes sense to everybody that um, you know has uh, you know could potentially be impacted by you know whatever decisions are taken so many thoughts i mean for one i think non-indigenous people could take pointers from indigenous groups about holding deeper spiritual convictions with respect to the environment and that might help us as a society to make more environmentally conscious decisions and improve our stewardship of this planet yeah well i think that um we know that our our planet is is undergoing huge changes as a result of um, our activity as human beings and so we need to obviously be looking you know at um, specific places to ensure that we're, you know, we're protecting some something for future generations. But at the same time, you know, looking from a global perspective at, you know, what we are doing to, you know, to this planet in terms of, of our activity, we can't control anything else but our own impacts and, um, I think that uh, hopefully we're all putting our minds towards that to, you know, to acknowledge and recognize that that we, you know, we have a, a collective interest in ensuring, you know, the survival of the of the planet in as healthy a way as we possibly can. You know, we know that you know the the powers that be have been involved in all kinds of conversations and set all kinds of targets um 
in terms of, of affecting um, sort of the, the climate strategy, et cetera. But, um, you know, unless we as individuals, you know, take on, um, the ch- take up the challenge, governments, et cetera, setting, setting things up in terms of a bunch of words isn't going to really make the difference. It's 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 going to require commitment and and engagement by you know by people as uh, you know as individuals. Thanks for taking your time today and okay. Well, chatting. anytime that you're uh, you're in the Skookumchuck area, we're not far. We're not much further south, so come and visit. Okay, we'll do. Thanks okay. again. Uh, best right. of luck. Have a great, uh, great weekend, sure. Catherine. Thank you. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye for now. Well, that's our episode. To find out more about the recent developments in Jumbo Wild, visit keepitwild.ca. To find out more about our podcast, visit keepinggreenpodcast.wordpress.com. I'm Ian Perry. Until next time, keep it green. Thank you.